0: You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hi, this is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology, welcoming you to the February 2020 edition of Editor's Picks. First paper to highlight is entitled Development and Validation of a MicroRNA Panel to Differentiate between patients with rheumatoid arthritis or systemic lupus erythematosus and controls, and is by Ormseth and colleagues. Studies of biomarkers have been gaining prominence with the hope that they will be valuable in diagnosing rheumatic diseases and in predicting outcomes. MicroRNAs are short non-coding RNAs that are important in gene regulation and maybe used as biomarkers and/or maybe indicators of mediators of disease. The aim of this paper was to use small RNA sequencing, coupled with machine learning, to develop a microRNA panel that could be used to differentiate between RA patients or SLE patients and controls. The investigators initially compared a panel of microRNAs in 167 RNA patients and 91 controls. The preliminary panel was then validated in a separate cohort of 12 patients with SLE, 32 with RA, and 32 healthy controls. The investigators found that the panel could differentiate patients with seropositive RA From those with seronegative RA, but not RA patients from SLE patients. Please read this paper to find out the implications of this study and potential relevance of these findings regarding the pathogenesis of RA and other autoimmune diseases. The next article to highlight is a review article entitled Immune-related adverse events associated with cancer immunotherapy, a review for the practicing rheumatologist by Jamal and colleagues. Immune checkpoint inhibitors have become an important addition to cancer chemotherapy. These molecules work by blocking the inhibitory pathways of the immune system. In this review article, The authors focus on the rheumatic diseases that have been shown to be associated with immune checkpoint inhibitors. They review the mechanisms of action, management of adverse events, and the potential impact on cancer therapy for the patient in whom these events may occur. I believe this review is important in daily practice as with the increased use of immune checkpoint inhibitors, you will likely see patients with these complications if you have already not done so. The third paper to highlight is entitled Prediction of Ankylosing Spondylitis in the Hunt Study by a Genetic Risk Score Combining 110 Single Nucleotide Polymorphisms of genome-wide significance, and is by Rostani and colleagues. It has long been recognized as a large genetic ponent for the risk of development of ankylosing spondylitis, or AS, which has been classically associated with HLA B27. However, 113 single-nuclear polymorphins, or SNPs, have been identified and associated with an increased risk for the development of AS, but have a much lower contribution to the genetic risk. The objectives of this study were twofold. One, construct a weighted genetic risk score using currently known genome-wide susceptibility SNPs and then to evaluate its predictive ability for AS in a Norwegian population-based study, or the HUNT study. The investigators successfully genotyped 164 patients with AS in whom they had relevant clinical data and more than 49,000 controls. A weighted genetic risk score was then constructed for all patients and controls based on the 110 SNPs. These SNPs were weighted using the published odds ratios for AS. The investigators then used logistic regression analysis to determine if the weighted genetic risk score alone, or in combination with HLA-B27 carrier state, were important contributors to the genetic risk for developing AS in this cohort. Please read this article to find out how the genetic risk score with or without HLA-B27 performed as compared to HLA-B27 status alone and what the authors believe the clinical value of the addition of a weighted risk score is. The fourth article that I felt would be of particular interest to the readership is entitled Worldwide Expert Agreement on updated recommendations for the treatment of systemic sclerosis, and is by DeVries, Bostra, and colleagues. The objectives of this study were one, to evaluate the agreement of the updated ULAR uh, slash USTAR recommendations for the treatment of systemic sclerosis among international experts. And secondly, to determine factors that might influence this agreement. A total of 263 experts participated in this study, of whom 209 or 79% completed every item. The majority of respondents were rheumatologists at 76%. 71% were working in Europe. 59% were USTAR members and 57% stated they had greater than 10 years of clinical experience. Overall agreement for the recommendations was high with a mean of eight on a scale of zero to 10 with 10 being full agreement. Please read this article to find out which recommended treatments had the greatest agreement and which had the lowest agreement. You will also find out which recommended treatments differed between European and non-European physicians. There is an accompanying editorial by Dr. Janet Pope entitled, Recommendations for the Treatment of Systemic Sclerosis. Agreement may not translate into uptake. In this editorial, Dr. Pope gives her opinion on how these guidelines may or may not be routinely used in clinical care. I believe that reading the article and the accompanying editorial will allow you to have a better perspective on how to put the updated jular star recommendations into your daily practice. The fifth article to highlight on this podcast is entitled Precision, Reliability, and Responsiveness of a Novel Automated Quantitation Tool for Cartilage Thickness. Data." from the Osteoarthritis Initiative, and is by Bose and colleagues. As you may have guessed from the title, the aim of this study was to compare the precision and responsiveness of cartilage thickness as measured with careful manual segmentation or by a novel automated technique to examine MRI studies of patients with osteoarthritis of the knee. The investigators compared the correlation of the mean knee cartilage thickness at central medial femoral and central medial tibial regions. Overall, they found excellent agreement with the two methods with R-squared values of 0.949 and 0.837 for the central medial femoral and central media tibia segments, respectively. They also found very good reproducibility. They then compared the responsiveness to change over time with repeated MRI studies over a two year period. Using a personal computer loaded with the appropriate software, it took only an average of 45 seconds to assess a single image and a Further, seven seconds for the calculation of cartilage thickness and volume. Please read this article to see how this novel technique may be used in the future for clinical studies and potentially even in daily practice. The investigators also reviewed the possible limitations of this work. I want to thank you all for listening to my review of what I felt were particularly important articles appearing in the February 2020 issue of the Journal of Rheumatology. I hope my summaries will lead you to reading not only these five articles, but all articles appearing in the February edition of the journal. Please read either the print edition or the online edition, which can be found at www.jroom.org. If you have any comments on this summary or any articles appearing in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. I hope you will listen next month for the editor's picks of the March 2020 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology.